We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome in. I can see your beautiful faces again, but now everybody can see our faces. I won't throw my hat in the beautiful category, but Joel, Josh, it's good to see you again here on our new network, the new home of the Royals Farm Report podcast, the Kansas City Sports Network, brought to you guys by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Um, Thank you, first of all, to KCSC for picking up the podcast, uh, being our title sponsor for for. The, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, this would not have been possible without them. They came in clutch um, and, and made this all possible. So thanks to KCSC, they train baseball, softball, all ages out at home field in Olathe. Uh, Scott Barlow actually works out at KCSC. We got some cool content coming with Scott Barlow on a different podcast with Joel. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, that might actually be out before this. But anyway, welcome back into the Royals Farm Report podcast. I'm Alex Duvall. Joined as always since day one, Joel. We've been going on like three or maybe three and a half years now of doing this. I am so pumped for this next phase of the Royals Farm Report podcast. Um, man, thanks for joining us again tonight. I'm excited for what this holds for you. Uh, a, how are you doing? B, anybody who's new, uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Man, I'm I'm so pumped right now. This is this is so cool. This is kind of a, a dream for us. When we we found out that KCSN was a thing, it was like, okay, that's where we need to be. And now to to be here, it's a really great opportunity for us. We've been doing this since November of 2018. So uh, yeah, it's about three and a half years going on, and and to now have this opportunity with with KCSC giving the, us the opportunity, I'm I'm ready to go, man. It's going to be a really fun year. Man, I'm just a baseball nerd. That, that you don't need to know much more about me other than that. Um, you know, love the Royals and really always kind of had an affinity for the minor leagues and, and player development and, and scouting and things like that. And Alex brought me on to the site in summer of 2018, right after the MLB draft. And since then, we've done draft coverage and a podcast and numerous podcasts. We've made connections with players and stuff through that. So I'm, I'm excited for, for what we got coming in 22 here. Yeah, this is technically episode number 61. So We've been we were hit and miss there for the first couple of years. We were recording. If you if you are an OG of the RFR podcast, you might remember back to the SoundCloud days. Oh yeah, we used to record on SoundCloud. Uh, that was um, 
that was a trip. But uh, since we we've been with the Royals Review Radio Network, they were generous hosts for us for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, now we're in episode number sixty-one, going on three and a half years, and for our new wave, our new era of the Royals Farm Report podcast. We dug Josh Kaiser, formerly of the Clearing Waivers podcast, out of retirement. Josh, I know you were uh, enjoying your retirement of the podcast scene. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Clearing Waivers was another podcast on the Royals Review Radio Network there for a while. Um, it was one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one day, the podcast is just over. I was crushed. So, Josh, I am thrilled to have you with us. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have you in the booth, so to speak. Boys, I, I, I couldn't be more excited to be on with you guys. I, I was, uh, it was uh, bittersweet. To, like you said, I did enjoy retirement for uh, about four or five months. Uh, it was good to kind of get my uh, feet planted and kind of land, uh, spend some more time with the family, take care of a few things. But uh, uh, the family's all good. We're all good, ready to roll. And uh, I appreciate the shout out on the clearing waivers. It was bittersweet. It was a cool thing to do and kind of got my feet wet with the podcast game. But uh, I mean, I've been on with you guys in the RFR podcast a little bit. I've been on the Royals Review podcast a little bit, um, wrote for both sites uh, over the last three or four years. So um, I'm just pumped to be involved with the KCSN now. Um, like like Joel was kind of talking about, once it kind of dropped, I was like, "Well, that's it. I mean, that's where that's where I want to be." And uh, to be able to join you boys on the on the network is is awesome. So uh, appreciate you bringing me on, bringing me out of retirement, and I'm pumped to get rolling. Absolutely, man. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Alex Duvall. I'm going to be the host of this thing this summer. Um, I started at Royals Farm Report with Patrick Brennan. Back in 2017, we um, he had just kind of come out of a thing he was doing with Kings of Kaufman, and he was really looking to uh, do his own thing and cover minor league baseball. And I was like, dude, I'm in. I was like, just, you know, I was writing for him at Kings of Kaufman at the time. I was like, let me know. I'm in. So he uh, started a Twitter account, started a website, and then we just off from there. It was a slow couple of years, but that 2018 draft really – uh, kind of became the the growth spurt that the website needed. And then it was actually that offseason then that Joel and I started the podcast. So it was about a year and a half after the inception of Royals Farm Report, the website. We had the podcast. And like Joel said, we've been doing this for about three and a half years now. Uh, could not be more excited about where we're going. Tonight, boys, episode number 61 is going to be awesome. We've got Vinny Pasquantino joining us here in just a little bit. Uh, 2021 third-round pick Carter Jensen, Park Hill graduate, is going to be joining us here in a little bit. And then to close things out, we have Kale Emshoff, uh, formerly of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, was one of the crown jewels of that 2020 uh, five-round draft free agent class. So um, really excited for this. I'm excited to talk to Vinny, A, because he is not on the 40-man roster, which – is good for us because now he can come talk to us. He can't be locked out of minor league baseball. So excited to talk to Vinny. Excited to talk to Carter, too, about being a local kid. What's it mean to be a local kid, put on the Royals uniform? You know, we got to talk to Ben Kuderna uh, just a few episodes ago about what that's like. Like, what is it like to be a local kid, put on the Royals uniform? Um, and he and Jensen were actually both LSU commits before being drafted. So very, very cool. And then Kale Emshoff, um, actually supporting the brand right now, the Seams brand that Kale started. So he's going to come on talk to us about 
his journey from college ball to being undrafted and signing as a free agent. And again, what was a short class in any normal year, uh, M. Schaff is, is certainly a top 10 round pick. Um, and then what's it like, you know, handling a really young pitching staff. So in college, you know, he's handling a certain type of kid and then he goes to low a where he's a little bit of a veteran in terms of baseball experience, catching some guys who are really getting their first crack at what this level of baseball would be like. So uh, I want to talk to him about that. I want to get you guys' thoughts really quick. Um, Major League Baseball has rescinded their um, offer, so to speak, of wherever they were. They were trying to get leverage so that they could be able to limit the number of of minor leaguers under control by a single organization in any given year. They rescinded that offer. Obviously, that's good for baseball. Joel, I want to start with you. I feel like this is kind of negotiating in bad faith, but I want to get your take. How do you see the the negotiation playing out now that Major League Baseball isn't going to be able to control roster sizes in the minor leagues moving forward? I'm not necessarily shocked. This felt kind of like where it was going to head. Uh, Major League Baseball tried to do something so outlandish to to try and get the players to give in and maybe try and come to the table with a little, maybe they're willing to take a little less. And now that things are starting to ramp up and they realize they need to get a deal done, Major League Baseball pulled that back, which felt, it felt inevitable. It felt like it was, it was such a ridiculous thing considering the previous year after 2020, they cut 30 to 40 minor league teams from affiliated ball. And so those communities lost out on, on being able to see some of these guys and sure some picked up independent ball or college wood bat league or, or something like that, but it's just not the same. So if you really do want to grow the game, no, there's no reason to cut roster sizes because it's just, then you have the slippery slope of cutting even more minor league teams and losing out on the, the opportunity to grow baseball in some of these smaller areas where they don't have, they may not have the opportunity to, to see pro, you know, professional MLB, you know, MLB, anywhere near them, especially when you look at the Royals, like Columbia, South Carolina, Davenport, Iowa, you know, Springdale, Arkansas. Sure, they're kind of close to some some major league teams, but not enough for a family of four to go to a ball game on a Saturday night. So you really want to grow the game. Minor league baseball is at the grassroots where you do that. And that's why, like you mentioned, the idea of cutting more roster spaces never made sense in the first place. And um, actually, my former co-host on the Royals Review Radio podcast, uh, Jeremy Grecos, mentioned this as well. He said, you know, these guys, it's not just about the players. It's not just about their prospect status as it moves through Major League Baseball. It's also these guys, they go home and they coach. They coach high school. They coach Little League. They coach college baseball. And they help grow the game in that way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the truth is if you want to grow your professional sport, you need grassroots young kids coming up and playing the game and if they don't have that high level of coaching then you don't have that high level of baseball at the younger levels so there was like four different layers of why that never made sense and so i was i was glad to see it pulled but like you said this was never a good faith negotiation and you know whatever josh i want to get your thoughts uh, generally about the cba negotiations major league baseball and the players association met all day on monday and they met for a good bit of time today down in jupiter florida Major League Baseball again tried to bring in a federal arbitrator or a, a mediator again, and the players like, we're not – we don't want to talk to a mediator. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to the owners. And the owners, it kind of sounds like, are like afraid to look these guys in the face and tell them that we're screwing them over, right? So, like, th that's the thing with the relationship is, like, Whit Merrifield – okay, let's just say it was Whit Merrifield and John Sherman. Now, to, 
to be clear, I think John Sherman would be much more pro player than the average owner. I think I saw it takes 24 owners to agree to a CBA or 22, which means eight could hold something up or something like that somewhere in that range. So you're talking like you could have nine owners, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Cubs, the Astros, the White Sox, the Red Sox, right? And, and they could band together and hold up any kind of negotiation. But you would have to look your players in the eye and go, we are going to intentionally withhold money from you and keep it for ourselves, even though you're the ones doing all the work on the field, right? So what are your thoughts about the negotiations in general? And then how ridiculous is it that Major League Baseball is still trying to get a mediator involved? Well, it, I completely agree with what you said. It, it seems like they're completely being disingenuous with their offers, for one thing. They're not uh, negotiating in good faith in at all. Um, they are making progress, giving a little bit here and there. But I saw somebody tweet it out like, this doesn't, I mean, the minimum salaries and everything that they're kind of going through, the lottery picks, um, all that stuff, all that getting like inching closer and closer towards the middle, it means nothing until they start talking about that luxury tax threshold. When they start talking about the anti tanking measures, trying to keep teams spending, there's no, there's never going to be a floor, but depending on how much they're going to spend on the high side of that payroll is really what it's going to come down to. It always was, it always will be, and that's how it is. So uh, I, I'm optimistic that they're meeting every day. They seem to be meeting for hours on end, which is also in and of itself a good thing. It's not these 15, 20 minutes spits in the faces and moving on with their day uh, until next week, and they do the same stuff. So I feel like there's progress being made in that regard, um, but I think until they kind of figure out this luxury tech tax threshold thing and kind of start coming together a little bit sooner on the, a little bit closer on that front. Uh, we still could be um, locked out for a little bit longer. Generally with these sort of negotiations, once one thing gets agreed on, then it starts to go pretty quick. So if they can find a way to go, okay, let's meet here, especially like say it's, it's league minimum salary. It mm -hmm. seems like major league baseball starting to come, you know, come up a little bit, the PA starting to come down. They're starting to get close if they can get close and agree on something, that could be a jumping off point to just continue this, you know, keep the snowball rolling. Yeah. I think that's going to be, if they can do that by like Thursday, then we're in pretty good shape because it has to be done by Monday if the season wants to start on time, which they have to start the season on time. You cannot delay. You can't miss games. Baseball is already, you know, way behind basketball and football and some of these other sports in, in America. People will continue to walk away, especially casual fans. Yeah. So you can't you can't miss this opportunity to get the season started on time. Mm -hmm. I actually think Major League Baseball ha has a has a good point and a fair point when it comes to wanting to start the season on time. And it's interesting to me that like they threw out a date that like, hey, we're not going to let you start the regular season on time unless you have this much warm up and spring training leading forward. Like you would think the players right would be the one saying, hey, we need X amount of time before we'll let you throw us out into a regular season game. So that's odd. Maybe maybe that's the the owners trying to protect the the quality of the of the performances that'll be out like they want them like ready to roll so it's not a bad product that goes out there. Like I don't I don't know necessarily. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think it's totally possible. Like my or original prediction was game 1 of spring training begins March 7th. And they start regular season on time. That gives them four weeks, and then they roll right into it. Or like three and a half weeks, and they roll right into it. I think spring training is long enough. And I actually think part of the negotiation, like, I wouldn't be surprised if spring training gets shortened. Like, moving forward, 
Like, I don't, I don't know that we need six weeks of spring training like it is right now. I think if you shorten that to four or five, you can still get accomplished what needs to be accomplished, especially as pitchers are learning, right? Pitchers mm. are learning how to handle their bodies. They're learning what training regiments should look like. They're getting really good at how to take care of themselves, and I don't think we're going to need the full six weeks uh, moving forward. If they don't get those six good. weeks in, I do wonder what happens to those, like, fringy guys because they're obviously not going to get as long of a look in spring training. So you, I mean, I always, I, I'm sure you guys are the same. Anybody who's paying attention to us is probably in the same boat that likes to see those clay Dungans, those dudes like that, that get run in spring training with the big boys just to see how they kind of match up. So if they're cutting spring training short, that kind of sucks for those dudes that I'm guessing their time is at least shortened if they are even there at all. So that is the kind of downside to a shortened spring training, but Hey, if it gets the season started on time, you know, it is what it is. Joel, any final thoughts on the CBA? Nope, nothing for now. I think we've, we, you know, this stuff has been hashed and rehashed and rehashed again. <laughs> at a certain point, I just want the season to start on time and I could give a damn about anything else. Yep. Agreed on all fronts. Okay, we spent a lot of time talking about the CBA. I want to start talking about minor league baseball because the CBA, Major League Baseball, Rob Man Clown, they can't lock out the minor leaguers, right? Unless the minor leaguers want to go on strike, there will be minor league baseball in Omaha or wherever Omaha will be. Omaha is playing Tuesday, April 5th. It's not, they can't stop it, right? Maybe that's a Monday. I don't know. Whatever April 5th is, that's <laughs> opening day. Opening day. And guess who's going to be on that roster? Bobby Witt Jr., but also probably Vinny Pasquantino, who's our next guest. Um, as we get into the season, we have another sponsor, another very generous sponsor I'm going to bring up here in a minute that will run. We're going to run our minor league recaps uh, through the sponsor. Right now, there is nothing to recap in the minor league baseball, but I do want to give a shout out really quick to the Drum Farm Center for Children. The Drum, Drum Farm Center for Children provides nurturing and exclusive services and environments that inspire and yield lifelong success for children, young adults, and families. Uh, Drum Farm helps children in foster care and young adults who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, Drum Farm is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri. They are an incredible uh, foster care center that do great work and they are a very very generous contributor to our show this year so uh, we will run our minor league recap through them every week as we get going uh, but for now I just wanted to give them a shout out we'll include them in every podcast leading up to the minor league season uh, thank you again as well to Drum Farm out of Lee Summit Missouri uh, foster care center for um, you know for for helping out with the show and um, hopefully this this will be a good partnership for both of us so gents really quick that Omaha roster on opening day, more than likely to include Vinny Pasquantino, Bobby Witt Jr., and the guys that it will not include because they are on the 40-man roster, Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, Sebastian Rivero, a lot of the guys you'd think guys are coming out to see, right? Jackson Coward not going to be there. Daniel Lynch not going to be there. We talked a little bit about this moving forward, but I kind of want to talk about some of these other guys that are under the radar what could a, an Omaha if an Omaha lineup consisted of Clay Dungan, Michael Massey, Nick Lofton, Vinny Pasquantino? Um, what does this what does this look like moving forward? Because you have a like a really good prospect core right there, and you don't even include some of your best players. There's a good opportunity to see guys like Jonathan Bolin if when he gets healthy, but Alec Marsh, um, you know, Brewer Hicklin will get a good opportunity, Clay Dungan. Uh, there's still going to be plenty of guys. The, the good news is that the Royal system right now isn't so top heavy that all of these guys uh, that are on the 40 right now uh, or that are in AAA right now are not, 
you know, quad a, or, you know, just kind of minor league depth guys. Like there are still legitimate prospects all over the system and they're going to be plenty. They're going to get there. There are going to be plenty. They're going to get run. I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. Um, I want to see Prado Melendez in the lineup as well, but I'm sure they're going to get their work in and they're going to get, they're going to get ready to go. Whatever the, the season goes, you're going to see them in AAA really quickly. And that's one going to be one of the better lineups in AAA. at least that three, four, five with Prado wit and Melendez. Yeah, I should I should clarify really quick because Joel made me think of as he was talking. I, I'm implying that if the lockout persists, right, right. Omaha plays without the lockout ending, that then Prado Melendez, I'm not implying they'll be on the opening day roster for sure or anything like that. Um, so if the lockout persists, that's what it could look like. If the lockout ends and they just send all those guys down there anyway, you're talking about Prado Melendez probably being in Omaha anyway. And then, like you said, Joel, it's one of the best lineups. Um in all of AAA, really in all of minor league baseball at that point, that'd be a fantastic lineup to catch. And regardless, let's say that the lockout does end and eventually you lose Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez to the big leagues. You backfill with a lot of those guys we talked about, Suli Matias, who didn't get brought up, um, and you've got a loaded roster. But uh, right now, if he's ready to join us, uh, I want to bring in Vinny Pasquantino, first baseman from – both the high A quad cities river bandits rosters last year, as well as the double a Northwest Arkansas naturals. Um, and then also we are losing Joel, uh, for the rest of the night. So Joel, thank you very much, sir. Uh, I will talk to you again next week. We will see you again real soon. And then, uh, like I said, yeah, um, let's bring in Vinny Pasquantino. All right, joined now by Vinny Pasquantino. Vinny, this is like, what, number three or four for you on the podcast. It is so wonderful to have you back. Um, how are we doing, man? How is the offseason treating you? Are you in Arizona right now? I am currently in Arizona. It is uh, – time is not a mind. Oh, I'm wearing a watch. Um, it's 7.03. It's 7.03 local time. It's dark out now. And, yeah, I'm in Arizona. It's like – I don't know, 65 degrees. It's unbelievable weather, so can't complain about that. That's nice. It So in a span of one week here in Kansas City, it snowed, and then it was 70 degrees, and then it snowed again. And by a week, I mean in three days. Yeah. That's what I like to call building character, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, you just, you know, you got to adapt. <laughs> you know, adapt or die, you know? Mm-hmm. That's just how you got to do it. Is that how Billy Bean meant it? He was talking about the weather, not. <laughs> oh, 100% about the weather, because everybody, you know, everybody's got to deal with that, you know? So you are in Arizona. I know you guys have had uh, drills going. You guys have had practices going. Um, I know things are a little light. We're going to try to stay away from why things are a little light right now. But what's it like being back around the guys? You're coming off a fantastic 2021 season in which you walked, struck out, and at the same amount of extra base hits. I don't know that I've ever seen that before, like the exact same amount. Like it's like a – triple crown of 64s I think is what that number ended up being coming off a great year I know the expectation is probably to keep moving keep keep having success at the higher levels what's it like to be back around the boys be have have, you know the team back together and running through like baseball activities in Arizona being around the guys is the best part of the game I mean there is no part of the game that I would consider to be better I mean look at all the former players that always talk about what they regret or what they miss about the game it's being in the locker room that's what everybody talks about. It's, it's very rarely anything on the field. So for us, we're just trying to live that now and enjoy it while we have it. I mean, I have three unbelievable roommates right now in Nate Eaton, Jake Means, and Michael Massey. So I don't know how much better it can get. I'm just soaking it up every day. 
We had um, Michael Massey on the podcast last summer as well. At the end of the year, actually, uh, he and Will Klein joined us to talk about their championship run uh, there in high A. You happen to be on both those teams that won championships in high A and then up with double A's as they won it. Um, I'm assuming the goal is to take that to the next level and win another championship at Omaha, which season begins like April 5th, right? As far as I know, I hey, I'm worried on a day to day basis right now. I'm I'm focused on what I'm doing tomorrow at this current moment, and then when I wake up in the morning, I'm focused on what I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing ten minutes later. So I'm not. I guess it's April fifth and April eighth. I think that's what they're telling people right now is when the minor league season is starting. Um, but as far as that goes, I'm a month and a half away. I'm worried about getting my swing right and making sure I'm taking defense the way I need to right now. So as far as opening day goes, it's then. But yeah, I mean. The focus for every season is to win a championship no matter what level you're at. So that's what we're focused on day in and day out is making sure that our bodies, our minds, and everything is ready to go uh, whenever opening day is. When we talked to, I think it was Massey last summer, he mentioned that, you know, in high school, his in high school they never won a state championship. And then Illinois, you know, never won a Big Ten championship or anything. I don't, I don't know specifically about yourself at Old Dominion or in high school, but – when you won that championship, because you guys got second in the Appalachian League with Burlington, and then you won it last year, which was your second year of pro ball, and you ended up at double A. How many championships had you won at the baseball level, at any level of baseball in your past? And how much I know the Royals put a huge emphasis on winning championships and they want you guys to win championships in the minors. But how much learning do you think? A, I mean, you learn every day playing baseball grinding and, and, you know, moving your way towards a team championship. How much can you learn from that? And like, what, what, what did you take away from that championship at double a last year? Well, you know, I think what you take away is that you can do it. And when you realize you can win as a team, I mean, what can't you do at that point? Because the goal for every, every baseball player is to win at the major league level. But in my mind, if you don't win at the minor league level, how do you know, if you can win at the big league level. So, I mean, there's a lot of confidence rolling in the Royals minor leagues right now. And that's pretty special to have. I mean, a lot of guys have been a part of a lot of championships and that's just a really cool thing. As far as my past winning, we won, like I've had a, I've been on a few really good AAU teams that won. Um, We won in Fort Myers when I was a junior in high school, but my high school team was really good my junior year. But one of my roommates, Nate Eaton, decided to shut us out uh, through nine innings um, in high school. And he'll, you know, he could tell you all about that. I went 0 for 4 in my last game. It wasn't my best high school game. And he was the reason for his team moving on to states. And my team's just sticking around in regionals. So as far as that goes, I was never able to win at the state level um, or anything like that. But it's, it's super special to win in the minor leagues because it's just something that something we still talk about in the locker room today of just how cool it is to be able to call yourself champions at the end of the year you've mentioned the camaraderie between your teammates and, and, and part of that is, is a leadership aspect that I think, you know, oozes off of you. You can, I, I don't know. I can tell, um, you know, the outward personality that you carry about with you. I have heard it from people within the organization, other players. Um, and you mentioned that in high school, uh, you were a part of like the theater department in high school is, do I, I know this may sound like a dumb question, but do you think there's, and I don't want to say correlation, like being in the theater made you this awesome person today, but do you think like there's 
something to it, like something about being versatile and like not just focusing on baseball all the time and the other aspects of it where it's it's leadership, it's camaraderie, it's a good clubhouse, it's a winning culture that um, was diversified through your through your acting career? <laughs> well, so I started acting, I don't even know when I really started, but the biggest production I was in that I know you want to ask me about later was when I was in sixth grade. That was when that was when I peaked, uh, I'll say. Uh, but yeah, it's it's surrounding yourself by different groups of people at all times. I mean, and in college, I was a communications major with a uh, specialty in lifespan communications. And what it talked about was a lot of it was uh, workplace happiness and different things like that. And a lot of it was even if you love what you do, you need to find a way to get away from it and get around a, a different group of people. Because if you do that, you'll appreciate what you do more and you'll take with what you learn from different people back to what you love to do and you'll love it even more and you'll be able to spread, you know, just excitement and happiness with what you do. And that's what I try to do all the time. I mean, I'm just trying to have a, I'm, I'm very focused in what I do. I'm very meticulous in my work, but I'm, I'm trying to have a good time at all times because at the end of the day, we do play a game for a living and that's really, really cool. And I don't want to ever lose that feeling of knowing that playing a game for a living is what my dream was. But at the same time, it's a really cool thing to do. And I want, fans i want people within the game i want people who watch me play to know how much i love what i do and kind of along the lines uh, alex kind of you know hinted at a little bit but everybody you know it seems like all reports kind of talk about you being a leader in the clubhouse and um that kind of speaks to you know your wide range of being able to the communications major is a huge thing of that but is it something you consciously seek or is it kind of a natural thing where you know you're just doing your job and and come in and do just generally like respond to you it's it's both uh, i've studied leadership my entire life i mean i went to high school um for a specialty center and it was entitled leadership um so it was something i've studied from my freshman year on and just what makes a leader and it's not necessarily one person telling people what to do trying to be an example it's it's a bunch of different things so i've studied it my entire life but also in a way it comes naturally of just because i'm willing to talk to people but if in my mind, if people don't respect who you are as a person, they're never going to listen to you or want to follow you anyway. So my important thing is I want to build relationships with everybody in the clubhouse and especially with my close friends. I want to be able to know them on a personal level and not just as a baseball level because it's just important to me. And if that's what makes makes a good leadership quality, I'm okay with that. But more importantly, it's just about my teammates and who they are. And if that makes me a leader, that makes me a leader. That's fine. I don't go into a clubhouse every day and think, Oh, what's going to help lead the boys today? It's, mm. you know, what's, you know, what's best for the guys, right? I mean, right. I want to go in and create a good environment in a locker room and create an environment people want to be in, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm the one doing it all on my own. I mean, sure. there's just a bunch of different good guys in the locker room that want the best for each other all the time. And that's what creates that energy that people can see when they watch us play. Well, speaking of like teamwork and following a leader and, and all this stuff, um, kind of brings me back to uh, The Hobbit and Bilbo Baggins and the fact that this is your sixth grade acting prime is you were Bilbo Baggins in a this is blowing my mind that it was a in one play but b in sixth grade how did you smush seven and a half eight hours worth of Hobbit trilogy movies or a 1500 page book into a sixth grade production how, how did that happen? Um, basically theater was something I was super interested in from a young age. And when I got into middle school, it was something that was able to take off. Like my middle school was really good at productions and everything 
everything like that. So I went out for it and I was able to get the, uh, get the role of Bilbo Baggins. And it helped that I was really, really short at the time. <laughs> I had to hit my growth spurt. So that was something that naturally helped me out there. So I got it and it was, uh, it was just an unbelievable experience being able to perform in front of, in front of people. I mean, just the, uh, the Zen feeling of, yeah. of, you know, working with different people to put on a show is just, there's nothing like it. Cause I mean, in sports, you never know what's going to happen, but in production, you know, what's supposed to happen. And when it goes wrong, the goal is to make sure nobody knows that it went wrong. And that's the cool yeah. part about it is being able to put on a show for people night in and night out. I mean, I think we did four performances of it and it's just one of those things where it's like, you got to be on your a game at all times. I mean, obviously in sports, you need to be on your a game at all times too, but in baseball you play 162 times. So mm. It's, it's just one of those things that I was able to learn consistency from that of being able to show up every day and everybody knows that I'm going to, I'm going to do my job for everybody else. Yeah. And that's what I took from it. I love it. I love the parallels that you're drawing through there. That's, that's good stuff. So let's, let's bring it back to baseball. That's why, that's why we're here. I wanted to kind of, you've started to pop up on prospect rankings all over baseball. America's coming out. MLB pipelines coming out and it's, it's undeniable with the seasons you've had the last couple of years, you've talked about it with RFR before, but it, how do you see that those rankings coming out with you, you know, climbing up the list every season? Do you see it as validation for what you're doing or is it kind of, you know, it is what it is. It, it does it put more pressure on or are you just largely blocking every, all of it out? I just play my game. Um, I want to win championships at the big league level. Yeah. <laughs> I want to win championships at whatever level I'm at, but you know, if you ask every single minor leaguer, they're going to give you the same answer. We got in this game to win at the highest level possible. And I want to get to that level. So for me, that's what will make a successful career. But if, you know, if I'm not fortunate enough to make it to, to major leagues and win at the major league level, I'm going to be happy winning at the minor league level, wherever I can, you know, I'm, I'm here to come in, do my job and win a championship. I mean, that's my goal coming in to every day, uh, figuring out how to do that. So Sure, you could say it's validation because I wasn't on those lists when I first got drafted. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is just because you're on those lists doesn't mean you're going to be a successful big leaguer. And just because you're not on those lists doesn't mean you're not going to be a successful big leaguer. So, you know, I think I think the main goal going into every season is what can I do to get, you know, just that much better and keep climbing the ladder. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what I focus on is having good at bats on a day in and day out, day out basis. Absolutely. I want to come back to that really quick where you know, we're, every day it's an at bat, it's an at bat, it's an at bat. It's it can be hard in 162 games or whatever the minor league season is to think about every at bat. I would I would assume when you have hundreds and hundreds of them, right? And yet, throughout your minor league career, your strikeout rate has continued to go down and down and down. Even as I would assume the pitchers are getting better and better and better, which I I think speaks to a commitment to the craft, a commitment to putting the ball in play, a commitment to hitting the ball hard, even as the, again, like I said, the competition is supposed to be getting stiffer. You, you've talked with us on the podcast before about how you hate striking, striking out. Like, I think, I think what you said is you, you hate striking out more than you like to get a hit or something to that effect in a game where strikeouts are becoming more acceptable for those who maybe didn't catch the last time you were on the podcast kind of walk us through your mentality because strikeouts are becoming a little bit more acceptable. It's becoming okay for big guys to hit home runs and strike out a lot. So your ability to hit for power, but your will unwillingness or 
unwilling. Yeah, sure. Unwillingness <laughs> to strike out, whatever the word is, right? How do you keep to that every single day to a point where your strikeout rate, like I said, was 11% at double A last year? Well, I would like to start off with um, the reason that strikeouts are becoming more okay is because these dudes on the mound are doing stuff that you would never even imagine that they do with the baseball. I mean, some of the things that we try to do off a machine and try to profile different pitchers, these guys are unbelievable. I mean, they're figuring out things of how to move balls in ways that you couldn't even just imagine a ball moving in. But, you know, my approach has been the same since I was little. Is I'm, I'm up there to make a pitcher's life as difficult as possible. And in my mind, I think the best way to do that is find a way to put the ball in play. And it doesn't mean that I'm just a stiff person of being like, oh, if I strike out, that's a terrible at bat. Like, that's not how I think of it. I, I have my own formula of what makes a good at bat, and I try to stick to that as much as possible. And if I could put the ball in play, I'm more than happy to do that. I mean, in, you know, in the world that we live in today, a strikeout is somewhat more valuable than a pop-up to the first baseman in foul territory. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, I, I, he's going to catch that 100% of the time. So if you if you focus on putting the ball in play at a good angle, um, at a good exit velocity, you know, you're playing you're playing with odds. I mean, guys are becoming mathematicians on the field, and it's it's actually super incredible to watch of how smart and how analytical these hitters are, and pitchers too, of just being able to, okay <laughs> – here's what should happen if I hit the ball this way, this way, this way. Right. But it's so hard to do. So in my mind, while yes, I'm aware of that, I really like the game of baseball and I think it's more fun in my mind if I'm on base. And so I try to get on base as much as possible. And it's really hard to get on base when you're striking out. So that's just what I think about it. And it doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. It's just how I feel about it. Am I going to, am I going to strike out? Yes. That's just nature of the game. But in my mind, I really just like playing the game of baseball, and I really like being on base. And people are going to rip me for not being that fast, and that's fine with me. But I love being on base because it's fun. So I just – I like being on base, and I want to get there. So I want to find a way to do it. And, you know, that's how I feel about it. I like making pitchers' lives difficult, and I like running the bases. So I'm going to try to do that as much as humanly possible. Last question before you, before we get you out of here. I posted a video of an at-bat you had last summer. It was at double-A. You hit two balls foul, probably 500 feet, and then you cranked the next pitch fair for a home run over the bullpen. I have to ask, and and I know like you try to keep it like humble and credit the pitcher or whatever, but in an at-bat where you've hit two foul balls as far as you hit those foul balls, <laughs> If I'm a pitcher and I, you know, I, when I did play baseball, I pitched. If somebody hit two foul balls like that off of me, I'm not throwing them a strike. You're going to have to just walk yourself to first base, or I'd probably just hit you, to be honest with you. <laughs> so when he throws you another pitch worth hitting, like, come on, be honest, on your way to first base, you had me thinking, like, what was that guy? What were you thinking about? Like, what did you think was going to happen if you threw me another strike? Well, so to be honest, in the video, because I've seen the video a few times now of Nick Batter's call, he says, flip that bat, Vinny. I flipped my <laughs> bat probably in a more aggressive way than I normally would have because I was so angry of the fact that I wasted two homers foul. <laughs> so, and if so, growing up and especially in college, our big thing was, and it was majorly messed up towards the hitter because we would straight up say it to him when they were in the box, but if you hit a foul ball homer, you're striking out. You don't have a choice. You're, you're striking out. You wasted it. You're about to strike out. But 
the way you can reverse that curse is if you hit a second foul ball homer. So I hit the first one in my mind. I'm like, yep, I'm striking out. Um, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just, you know, it's the way the game is played. I hit the second homer and my mind like, I reversed that curse. I got a shot here. And then when I hit it, it was just, it was a bunch of anger in there because like you can't waste two pitches like that, that you can hit fair, that you hit foul. And then at the same time, it was just a big relief of, man, I reversed the curse. And then my phone blew up from all my college friends, just <laughs> letting me know how cool it was to actually break it. Because only one person, there's one person we've seen who, uh, hit a foul ball homer, and then hit a homer in the same at-bat. And his name was Mike Wolanski, and he's the best hitter I've ever seen in the Valley Baseball League uh, in whatever year I played there. So we've only seen it happen once, and I'm just honored to have broken the curse uh, and be able to do it all in one at-bat. So, God knows what happens to your season if you don't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, who? I mean, I, who knows what happens. You, if you hit one foul, you got to hit another one foul, or else you really just don't have a shot. Vinny, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Good luck to you this season. I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. Um, good luck in Arizona. We appreciate you. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again soon, man. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right, we are joined now uh, by Royals catching prospect Carter Jensen. Carter is a graduate of Park Hill High School here in Kansas City, Missouri area. So, uh, Carter, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Are you also down in Arizona getting some work in? Yep, uh, I'm down here um, in the open camp getting ready uh, for spring training and um, all that to come. So um, it's been good to be down here uh, a little bit early to get my work in. So, Are you are you staying at the Fountains, the, the new complex there in Surprise? Yeah. Tell us about that. So I know Alec Lewis of The Athletic, I don't know if you saw the article, wrote a whole big thing about the Royals and how much they wanted to get this done and you know, what it means to them to be able to allow you guys this housing opportunity uh, there, you know, right there next to the to the spring training site. So tell us about the fountains. What's it like being able to stay there? Because I know you got a taste of minor league baseball last year, but the full season grind is hotels and I'm sure crappy apartments and, and cheap housing. And I know Major League Baseball did some things to fix that. But tell us about the fountains uh, there where you're staying uh, right now in Surprise. Um, it's been awesome. I mean, the, um, I guess environment they made for us, uh, it's been, it's been really nice, um, to kind of be able to have this to come home to after a long day at the field or something like that. Um, I mean, the setup is awesome. It's just like a, like a regular apartment. Um, it's, uh, it's two bedroom, I guess, apartments and there's two beds in each room. Uh, so it's four people to a unit, which I mean, isn't terrible, uh, I mean, I don't mind having a roommate. It's um, it's dorm life. People, yeah, yeah. Dorm. Some people <laughs> may some people may not like it as much, but I have no problem with it. Um, Who are you also rooming with? Like a, what'd you say? Who are you rooming with? Um, so I'm with Brennan McNair. Uh, he's in okay. the same room as me. Um, and then across the living room, there's David Holly and um, Ben Hernandez. So. Um, it's been a really good group. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, the fountains, is, it's awesome. I mean, there's like a player's lounge. It's it's really cool. It's got pool tables, uh, ping pong tables, uh, big TV. You can sit and watch a, a basketball game or we watch the Super Bowl there. Um, I mean, it's, it's an awesome environment to be in and uh, definitely a lot better than a hotel. So um, it's it's been great. So I mean, who runs who runs the ping pong tables? Who's the who's the ping pong champion of the table down there? 
Uh, there's a bunch of really good ones. Um, Shane Panzini is actually really good. Um, he's a really good ping pong player. And then uh, there's some good Latins too. Um, they're like, I, I'm not the greatest. I mean, I'll, I'll try to play, but I mean, I always get smoked every time I play somebody <laughs> like that. So, can you can do you hold your own on the billiard table at least? Oh yeah, yeah. I I love playing pool. I mean, that's that's. Um, I mean, that's what I was doing before this and probably go play a little bit after. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I can hold my own in that, so. There you go. So for – I'm going to keep this a little bit um, anonymous, but I got to see you play in high school a few times last year, and if there was anything that I would say, like just kind of watching you play in high school versus watching some of the video that was coming out of you in Instructs and in Arizona last summer is – in high school, I remember I watched you hit a ball off um, off a, of a, a left, left-handed pitcher that hit the fence, and it was still going up. And it just it didn't get very high. Ball probably would have gone 500 feet if you'd have hit it in the air at all, um, but hit it a little low. And, you know, I don't want to get into the whole launch angle thing. But when you get to Arizona, it looks like there's – I don't want to say a concerted el- effort to elevate the baseball – but definitely some of those balls you turn on and hit really hard on a line are, are leaving the yard. They're flying out of the yard a little better. And I would say when you were drafted, people may have overlooked the raw power that was in your bat. And I would say the kid's got the strength, like the raw power's in there. It's just got to elevate the baseball to get it out of the yard. So did you make any kind of adjustments like that? Or do you think it's something that was just kind of a natural tick once you got into pro ball? But What's it been like? Because it looks to me like you're making a little bit of an effort to get that ball in the air a little better. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mix of both. Um, a little bit of an adjustment and a little bit just kind of um, it happening on its own. But, I mean, uh, I kind of like to think about it. Uh, I mean, in the Royals organization, they like to think about um, there's run scores and run producers. Um, and I, uh, me and all my coaches believe that I'm a I'm a run producer. Um, I'm somebody who's going to be driving in runs. So, I mean, uh, you're not going to be able to do that great of a job at that if you're just hitting ground balls. So, I mean, I knew that I had to get the ball a little bit more elevated um, because if I do catch one, um, it'll be a lot easier to hit them out and um, hit those doubles, triples, whatever it is. So, um, I mean, a little bit of an adjustment, uh, switching my load up a little bit instead of rocking back super far. I'm trying to load into my hips a little bit more. Um, and that naturally um, kind of just uh, adds a little bit extra loft into my swing. Um, not enough to where I'm going to be a problem of, I guess, popping up too much. Um, but it's got it's got enough to where if I catch a ball square, it's gonna it's gonna go and most likely leave the uh, leave the yard. So, um, yeah, I'd really say that it's kind of a mix of uh, it happening naturally and a little bit of an adjustment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The pitching, I'm sure, at the professional level was a tick up. And I heard some crazy stories about the pitching in the Arizona League. So um, I don't really know what, what kind of sense you got from it. But describe the difference. Obviously, right, professional pitching is going to be a dozen tiers above probably what you saw in high school. But try to describe the difference in what you saw at the high school level, what you saw at the professional level. And you don't have to give away any state secrets, but like the physical adjustments to the pitchers. So not the adjustments you're making, but to the pitchers themselves, because I'm I'm guessing maybe there might have been a time where it was a little bit of like a culture shock. You get in there and all of a sudden everybody throws 92. Everybody's got a great breaking ball. It's like there is no relief. You don't get that you know, that high school kid that throws 81 with an average breaking ball that you can pick on every now and then, like all these kids are good. So what's the culture shock like? What's that adjustment like um, going from high school pitching straight into professional pitching? Um, I mean, personally, I think I like it a lot more. Um, I think it's a lot easier. Um, I mean, because really you, you don't have enough time to think about it. You don't sit there in your load and wait and wait and wait and then go. Um, it's a lot more of a fluid motion um, when you're facing these higher level um, fastballs, curveballs, all that. Uh, you're able to just be shorter to the ball and um, be able to put a quicker swing on it. Um, and I've always hit better off of better pitching um, just because, uh, I mean, I don't think as much. I don't have as much time to think. Um, I'm really just going back to my roots and uh, letting my swing do its thing. So, I mean, it really was, wasn't too hard of a change. Um, because, I mean, I remember my first game, uh, they had prepared us well um, and prepared us high schoolers well for the uh, the pitching change that we were going to endure um, just going from high school to uh, to professional pitching. And, um, I mean, it worked out. I ended up having a great game, great first game that I could build off of, um, and it kind of just took off from there. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's not, it's not that big of a change for me um, other than uh, – like it's just making sure that I'm quicker to the ball and uh, being able to put a better swing on it. So we've talked a little bit about your offense. Let's move behind the plate on defense a little bit here. I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, you're, you're kind of building on your skills uh, behind the plate and calling games against pitchers. You, you know, ha- don't have that much experience catching in some point, but this last weekend with the college uh, opening day and all that stuff, we see things like, you know, the Vandy, uh, had those watches for the the pitcher signal calling. Um, and then they're all talking about these automated uh, strike zones that they're talking about implementing over the years. But how do you, what are your thoughts about these technological implementations into the game? And, you know, how 
are you, are you just preparing to not have those as you kind of grow as a catcher or is it is it something that you're going to have to uh to come face to face with at some point um i mean it's not necessarily something that i'm going to um prepare for um because if i knew what was certain um coming up in the future of baseball then i would kind of prepare for that but i mean with it being so uncertain and not knowing when or um i guess what's going to happen um i'm really just kind of focusing on um just my regular uh i guess regular catching skills everything that i need as if this this the rules were the same now uh, or in five years as they are now um so i'm trying to just build a build around the rules that are set right now and um, everything that's going on now. Um, and then once we figure out what is what is set and what's going to happen in the future, then I can kind of adjust accordingly and, um, I guess, figure out what I need to do moving forward. So um, I haven't really started, I guess, preparing for anything such as an automated <laughs> strike zone or anything, just because I'm just trying to um, – Do your thing. Yeah, yeah, just trying to do my thing and keep improving um, and keep proving that I can catch and um, and all that stuff. So – do you feel like those potential things that are coming in like that could potentially like, I don't hamper, uh, obviously as a catcher, you're calling games and uh, pitch sequencing and all that stuff is kind of taken into account. Is that like taking away part of what, why you like to catch? Um, I mean, not necessarily, but I mean, I do love uh, calling the games, um, kind of working with the pe- uh, the pitchers with their sequencing. Um that's just something I like to do. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if that were to be taken away, then um, it wouldn't be a big deal. I wouldn't not like catching anymore. Um, sure. I mean, I kind of just, like I said, adjust accordingly. Yeah. You're well, in an I... organization. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Jeff. No, you go, go do So, you're in an organization who has raised a ton of great catchers uh, throughout the years. Salvador Perez, MJ Melendez, Sebastian Rivera was phenomenal behind the plate. A uh, guy we're going to have on here in a minute, Kale Emshoff, looked great behind the plate his first year of professional baseball last year. It is something that I think more baseball teams are doing now than maybe did 10, 12 years ago, where they're valuing the position. They value guys who can go back there, really work behind the plate, and hit. You're in an organization with a lot of great catchers. What's it been like to be around these guys, kind of bounce ideas off of them, learn from them, learn together, grow together. Because, like I said, the Royals have had a ton of really talented catchers. To be in that room, there, there has to be a lot, of, a lot of good conversations and a lot of learning that goes on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all the catchers that I've met um, and kind of worked with throughout my career so far have been awesome. Um, everybody, like you said, just bounce ideas off of each other, um, help each other out, um, and kind of just uh, get, our, get our work in. Um, I guess we all do it as a team, and it's it's been really awesome. And I know you mentioned Kale Emshoff. He's been a, a huge guy for me to kind of talk to and bounce ideas off of because um, he's a more experienced guy. He's he's older than me, and um, he just kind of knows how thing wor- or things work and how a full season can affect a catcher. So um, I've talked to him a lot, and he's been a really great source for me um, to kind of prepare for this upcoming season and um, make sure that I can get the best out of it. I saw the video of you hitting nukes in the middle of the night with Eric Sim, uh, the king of Juco. Um, I saw it on social media somewhere. That guy is one of the most entertaining people I have ever watched on social media. He is, like you talk about like just the prime example of a guy 
giving everything he's got, no matter what he's doing, like throwing a Frisbee, throwing a brick, throwing what did he pulled down like a grapefruit or something in a video he did uh, trying to hit wiffle balls off a guy who's hitting them with a tennis racket, like full sin, no matter what it is that he's doing. What was that experience like? I know he had a bunch of you out there just to have a little home run derby. It looked like in the middle of the night. Um, and I know it's just for fun going out there hitting BP, but you know, what was it like being around Eric Sim, who's become one of, if not the most popular baseball face in social media? Uh, it was incredible. Um, I mean, that's somebody who I've kind of, uh, I guess over the past year or however long he's been doing stuff, um, who I've been kind of following. And uh, like you guys said, he's super entertaining. Um, but also one thing that um, I really like about him is just the drive he has. Um, even though he's he's um, not playing baseball professionally or anything anymore, I mean, he's still – um, striving to hit new new records on everything he has or everything he does, such as the exit velo, throwing, um, when it comes to lifting weights or whatever. He's super driven, and um, it's really it's really cool to kind of, um, I guess, bounce ideas off of him too and, um, I guess, just be around somebody who has that same same drive as me, even though they, he's not really doing it um for a professional team or anything like that so it was a lot of fun uh definitely something that um i want to do again just kind of work with him and uh make content or whatever try to grow my brand a little bit um so yeah he was he was a lot of fun to hit with and uh, probably will end up doing something else with him here soon so i've got one more question for you your nickname is launch angle correct I mean, that's honestly news to me. I had no clue. I didn't. Oh, I, I heard that. I was just wondering about the uh, origin of that. Oh, I mean, I. Not too many people call me it. I mean, um, I don't. I get, I'm honestly, behind, I get behind a lot of good nicknames and Launch Angle. I, I very much love. So I was hoping it would stick and uh, and, and it'd be a thing. That'd be rad. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've. I mean, people have said it before, um, but it hasn't really stuck total or like okay. totally. But um, we've got some other nicknames that are, I guess, pretty cool. So what's that? Uh, I want to hear. I want to hear all the nicknames. All right. Well, so the main one is um, El Gato Blanco. So the white cat. Um, that's just <laughs> kind of what happened. I don't know where it came from. Well, actually, I do know where it came from. So it was like my first week down here. We were doing uh, team defense. Um, and it was like a ball to the pitcher, and he had to throw it to home. And I was standing behind home, um, and I was talking to one of my catching coaches about something. And the pitcher overthrew, um, overthrew the catcher, and it was coming right at me. And I like quickly dodged out of the way. And um, all the Latins were uh, calling me like like El Gato, and I had like cat-like <laughs> reflexes. So that came out of that came out of nowhere, and it, it stuck ever since. Love so, like, it. Uh, they still call me, and it's either just Gato, El Gato Blanco, El Gato Grande, whatever it is. <laughs> El Gato Grande, um, I love it. But I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's uh, it's always nice to like, kind of have a have a nickname. It's it adds a little bit of fun to it. So agreed. That's I mean, that's like kind of like hitting with the uh, with them. Like it's all about fun at this point. Oh, yeah. You just got to keep it keep it light. I love it. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Carter, thank you so much for joining us. Um. It, you know, it's cool to have a, another local guy back on the show. We had Ben Kuderna on a little bit earlier, fellow LSU commit as well, not just a Kansas City kid. So uh, good luck to you guys. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. 
Uh, we'll be following you this year and hopefully get you back on again. But uh, good luck to you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks. All right, we are joined now uh, by Kale Emshoff. Kale was signed by the Royals out of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Kale spent his time last year mostly with Columbia, did get to Quad Cities at the high A level there to end the year. Kale, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, man. We're glad to have you on. I know we've been communicating quite a bit through uh, social media for a while, but it's, it's good to finally have you on the show. So thanks for joining us tonight, man. No, yeah, I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for the past few weeks and uh, finally getting to meet you guys, see you face-to-face, and just talk about some baseball. You as well, man. The first thing I got to bring up is that the way I think Josh described your legs in the group chat earlier <laughs> was like, what How? What did you say? It was two holiday hams shoved down the, <laughs> down, down his baseball pants. I was two like, holy hell, how, how is his body so thick and he's able to move like he is? He's just... It's holiday hams get down there. This is this uh, is like a uniquely catcher, and even in some ways, like for some pitchers, um, like it's easy to identify the catchers in street clothes <laughs> because like they have very normal fitting suit tops, and then like pants, suit pants just don't exist. I'm assuming you've come across these issues at some point. Uh, absolutely, uh, having to buy bigger clothes, just like in. I've had the biggest problem in jeans, especially. Uh, I can never find a right size that just fits me. I always have to, like, sacrifice a little bit, whether it's the length or more in the waist. Um, I never really thought of my legs being that big, but I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess that's how that's, we're starting this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on swing mechanics, but, boy, I can, I can recognize some big thighs. So that's, that's my area. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can make some judgments on that. Josh Power. sent that in the group chat earlier, and I was like, well, he's not getting away with that. So that's, getting, <laughs> that's getting brought up first thing first. Let's get, let's get this um, out of the way first. Kale, you started a brand that is called Seams. I'm rocking. I got the hat and the hoodie on. Thank you for sending that, by the way. Um, yeah. We mentioned it earlier on the podcast, but if you're, if you're tuning in now for the specifically this part of the podcast, Seams brand is um, Shop Seams Apparel online, shopseamsapparel.com. Uh, tell us about tell us about why you started a brand, and then like kind of the the meaning and the usage of the brand, um, you know that, that you started here with Seams. Yeah, so from a young age, I've always wanted to start uh, something that I could call my own, um, and be, me being around baseball, I might as well relate it to baseball because that's what I know best. And it was kind of funny how I came up with it. <clears throat> In the 2020 year after we signed, I was working like there was a period of where we signed and before like reporting times, like we just didn't know there was a big question mark. So uh, I was just at home, had nothing else to do. I was working every day for my dad on the farm, uh, working out and stuff and then just brainstorming on what I could do. It hit me and when I was on the tractor working and I was just like, seems like that's it. I thought about baseball. It's like just the seams on the ball. It's short, sweet. I was like, oh, maybe four seams sounds cool. Two seams, like, no, seams. Like, that's it. That's perfect. Um, And I looked it up online, and there was nothing relatable to it. All the stuff I've seen is, like, the actual seams in a shirt, like uh, people who stitch and stuff like that. There's no baseball or athletic apparel brand that has a name similar to it. Uh, 
So that's how I came up with the name and being in my position, deciding on what I could do with uh, to like the levels of it, of what I could offer to people uh, for right now, shirts and hats and hoodies as you have is like the best I could do because I am away for eight, seven months of the year. And so it's something that I can control and it's uh, manageable from, from here where I'm at. And uh, also the reason I started it, I want people to be able to connect to players. Um, so for this, like seems is a way for say y'all to connect to me in some shape or form. Like that is my, like I started that. I have the drawings in my iPad, in my phone that I just drew with my finger brainstorming one day. So like people, I think it's kind of cool that people could buy a piece of that. Um, what I personally came up with. Um, but also I think in the future, looking years from now, I want seems to be, uh, <clears throat> I want to turn it into like a multi-sport complex. I want to have like a storefront to where I could sell better apparel, more quality apparel. Uh, but then in the back, have a way to give back to the athletes with uh, programs, strength and conditioning programs, uh, cages, or whatever it may be. Like, that's what I hope it turns into one day, the more I keep working with it. That's a pretty, I mean, A, it's a pretty, like, noble thought of, of the ability to give back in some capacity. And I think we hear that a lot. But it seems like, specifically, guys that are coming out of the Royals organization, like, there's 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 a pretty clear intent on not just signing but developing good young men not just good young ball players right and so the 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 thought of being able to give back once you've become successful in your own right uh, is pretty cool b like i love it like you you sent me the hoodie the hat like this it fits well i like the comforts you talk about selling better quality like, this is this is honestly some good stuff i know <laughs> josh is rocking our rfr hat over there um, there's hat. a lot of good out a lot of good outlets to like get that kind of stuff done these days so uh thank you for sending this over and like i said if you haven't if you uh, are listening check it out shopseamsapparel.com or i think it's um what's your twitter handle for the for the it is uh seems apparel uh, seems for twitter apparel. uh and then for the website it is www.seamsapparel.com seamsapparel.com uh, it okay. should come up pretty good uh, i got all the ads on social media the same it was hard at first when i was making it because other play other things uh had it taken so uh, i had to mix it around a little bit and i actually got a trademark too i got seams trademark i got the slogan nice. trademark and i got the home plate uh with baseball seams that on that hat right there trademarked as well so tell uh, celebrate the slogan real quick that one right there? No, the slogan for the website. Oh, nothing granted, all earned. I like that. That's awesome. Let's um let's talk a little baseball really quick. You went down do to Columbia last year at the low A level, and I mentioned this a few times, both on podcasts and just in, in writing about you here at the site, that watching you work with a younger group of pitchers, and I don't even mean that like these kids are younger, like physically younger than the guys you probably played with at Little Rock, but they're less experienced. They don't have all the game experience. Um, in the case of like Luinda Avila, who came up at the very end of the year, had very little professional pitching experience. And 
you handled it incredibly well. And I think we saw it as well with your co-back stopping Omar Hernandez, who for a 19-year-old getting his first taste at professional full-season professional baseball also handled himself really well. I have to think you guys collaborated, rubbed off on each other, you know, worked with the pitchers together, traded notes and whatever. But to see the maturity and the development that the pitchers had as well as Omar had, can't help but think you had a little bit to do with that. So walk us through what your first full professional – actually, that was your first professional season was like because we didn't have a 2020 season. Walk us yeah. through that and, like, what it was like to work with these young pitchers, working with Omar as a younger catcher and growing together as a team. Yeah, so starting out uh, my pro career, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, we had a small camp where it was just before spring training. It was an invite only. There was only like maybe 30, 40 guys that went, mostly pitchers, in Columbia. And we were there for two weeks just for workouts and stuff. And that was like my first taste of pro ball because instructs before that, I rolled out to Instructs and I broke my handmate. And so I missed all of Instructs of quality. Like, I didn't get to see any live life pitching or anything. I hardly got the hit. I threw mainly. Um, I did get to catch a little bit of the guys once I healed up. But at the Columbia camp, that was my first taste of, like, pro ball and uh, dealing with some of the pitchers and some of the players. Omar was there. We connected tremendously there. And um, it also it, – it, it shows in the way we operate as well because it was his first time and it was also my first time. So, like, we kind of flocked to each other. Even though he is a Latin player and English is not his best suit and Spanish isn't mine, my best suit either, we still, like, as, as brothers, we come together and we were able to talk it out. And uh, he's actually gotten really good at his English and not too bad on the Spanish side myself. Uh, maybe not really, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so me and Omar in Colombia, once the season started, um, we were doing this alternate, uh, this alternate, uh, losing my words, like where he would catch and then I would catch the day after. And then we would go after, uh, like the week at the end of the week, we would go after, uh, how the games went, what pitches we need to throw, even with the pitching coach. We would talk about what needs to happen, what plan we have to do uh, for the next team coming into town and where we're going. And Omar, being as young as he is, handled it tremendously. And I had a little bit of experience in it in college because my coach, Coach Curry in Little Rock, was big on scouting reports and hammering the catchers because he was a catcher uh, and hammering us to learn the basics of like what pitchers need to know what they need to do, especially when their game our little cues that we could tell them like, Hey, stay on your backside a little bit longer. Get your, get your arm on time. Like these little things like that can help, especially help the young guys. You came into the league and you were hitting for a ton of power that also came with a good bit of strikeouts at first as well. Throughout the year, as of, I was kind of looking at it, just your game logs from June 22nd on. So for like really the last two months that you were in Columbia, got your strikeout rate down 10%. I know you mentioned that you broke your handmate and instructs, get your first taste of pro ball in Columbia at the little pre-spring training program. 
And then pretty soon you're actually in Columbia playing ball. But talk us through the progression from entering pro ball to what it was like at the end of the year before you actually got promoted to quad cities and you were having a ton of success at the plate uh, with Columbia. Yeah. So at the plate, it was, it was a roller coaster for me this past year. Um, the strikeouts obviously were the, was a big thing. Um, and I take it very hard, the strikeouts, because it's just how, how big you can compete. Um, but going into the year, also, I started swinging a new bat that was 35 inch, 33 ounces. Though so it was huge, way too big for me. I could hardly move it, especially in the dog days of the season when your body is deteriorating. It felt like I was swinging a tree trunk up there. And the pitchers are throwing at the top of the zone at 95 to 100 miles an hour. It's very hard to get that heavy of a bat on that ball. And when I would go up to the plate, some days I'd just be so locked in. And other days I'd just be like, God, like, this isn't me. And then once the season concluded, I went home. And it was just one small little tip from one of my old coaches. And since I've been in Arizona right now, I've been absolutely crushing the ball and so much more confident. Like I'm having fun with it too. I think that was a big thing this past year. I didn't really, I didn't take the time to see the little things and enjoy the times as much as I should have. Uh, <clears throat> I did a podcast the other day and I talked about like going to do normal stuff to get away from the field, to just be a normal dude, like go uh, relax a little bit. And instead of, having to show up to the field and be like, oh, I got to go to the field today. Like it's, it's a job. Like I have to do this. No, like, it shouldn't be like that. We're playing professional baseball, especially where the game's going nowadays. Less guys are playing yearly and we should be thankful each and every day to do this. And uh, I think that's going to change for me this year. I'm going to be a lot more thankful and be more confident with what I'm doing. Love that. I mean, that we were talking about that with both Vinny and Carter, just like having fun, making sure we're all having fun out there and kind of paying attention to that. And I think that's a great thing to keep sight of. It's, it's always keeping it light and keeping it loose is, is a big deal for me just in general. So it, to be able to you know hear you say that that's a, a, you know something you're trying to focus on, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And I, I did listen to that podcast you were on the other day. You mentioned that after games, you kind of – to come down, you cook, correct? Yeah. And you yeah. and your go to is the the bacon and egg uh, breakfast tacos, breakfast. yeah. Yep. I, so I, I guess the that. the question is: Are we doing corn tortillas or flour tortillas? Flour, absolutely. Okay, flour. my my man. Yep, that's where I'm going <laughs> to. That's where I go to. Flour. That's the way to go. I know you're from a Texas guy, so I I, I mean I, I knew that corn is uh, pretty prevalent in the uh, Hispanic culture, so I know. Uh, I know plenty about the corn tortillas as well. So, uh, yeah, back to baseball. I mean, you guys talked about your K rate, and you don't really, you know, you take it kind of hard. But you weren't getting cheated on those because you also had a very good uh, walk rate as well, 13.5 this whole last season. So when you go up there, is your approach just to, to make sure the pitcher's working? Are you just waiting for your pitch? Or you kind of just go up there, you know, looking to make hard contact? And what's what's the approach like in that? Um, as soon as I – step or show up to the field that day i'm hunting fastball no matter mm. what fastball the entire time until he can prove to me that he's going to get me out with something off speed something else yep and then 
So if it's an OO count, I'm hunting fastball, mainly middle to away. I want to try to drive the ball the other way <clears throat> as best I can. Mm. Um, and this past year, I kind of showed that I pulled the ball more than I did hit opposite field. Now, I think that was a direct reflection of my heavier bat. Like I would have to start so early and try to pull the ball because otherwise I couldn't get that bat around yeah. the contact. Yeah. Or if I was a little bit late, I foul it. Like it was, I'd have so many of those games where I was like, I don't, how am I missing that? <laughs> yeah. And so like going back to the count, I'm hunting fastball most of the time. And if he leaves me a breaking ball up in the zone somewhere middle middle i'm gonna do my best to uh to drive it as well and stay on my legs try to stay middle of the field and i think this year too i'm gonna be do my best to be more selective and uh also this past year it was i i say it to everybody who asked me it was not an accurate reference representation of myself at all if you go back to my college last my last year at college you could ask anybody I played with, that is the accurate kale. Like, I was walking every day. Like, I did not strike out like I did. And, yeah, I know stri <clears throat> strikeouts happen, and we're facing elite pitchers every day. Uh, but it was just not me. Mm. Not me this past year. I hundred percent look forward to seeing that, but uh, I mean, you're you're smashing baseballs in general, so I uh, I appreciate all the all the extra attention you're paying to everything at that point. But I kind of want to go back to back when you signed with the Royals, uh, undrafted free agent, but you were the top, you know, the guy after the draft that all teams were kind of contacting. Uh, the next day, you were talking about your phone blowing up and just getting calls left and right, and you mentioned, and I've seen it a couple times that you kind of picked the Royals a because how they were treating their minor leaguers. They, it was around that time where they were cutting yeah. a lot of organizations were cutting uh, players just to save, you know, dollars and cents here and there. And the Royals weren't, but you said the other part of that was their family approach. And I, I caught it with Omar. when you talked about Omar being called him brother. Uh, so it's obviously, you know, very important to you, but why does that family concept kind of resound with you so much? Yeah. So where I live, we're Texas, we're farmers, like we're a big family, uh, pull each other close. Anytime we need anything, like we're we're one, there for one another. And I've always been like that with my friends too. Played football growing up, all through baseball. Like we're one big family. And uh, just because of getting to pro pro ball, it's not going to stop. Yeah. Um, pull my friends closer and pick them up when they need it, and I hope they do the same for me. So, hundred percent. I love that. I, lo I love the family atmosphere that it seems like it's, you know, it's evident across all organization. Uh, you can kind of see it top to bottom. So I, I, I dig that part of it and I'm glad that it's kind of uh, resounding with some of these guys that, you know, they can, they can go anywhere they want to a lot of the time. So it's, it's cool to kind of see that actually, you know, producing and, and getting guys in. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Kale, I got to ask you about the, the pitchers you were working with. If you could, Name one of your favorite guys to catch. Now, so I want to I want to be clear for for people listening. I'm not asking Kale who the best pitcher he caught was, who had the best pitch he caught was, but like as a pitcher and catcher, there's a there's a special relationship there, and it kind of goes back. It is like a little bit of a family. Like I think about it now, three of like the five of my closest friends were all catchers that I had in high school or in college. Who was your favorite pitcher? 
to catch in Columbia last year. So again, now I'm not saying who the best, who was your favorite guy? Like who did you just, maybe it was random. Maybe it was a concerted effort, but who did you just click with the best behind the plate? I'd say Ben Hernandez. I'd say he struggled on the mound off and on, but his stuff is so electric. And when he gets it going, it it's fun. It's fun. Is it? Is it annoying catching a guy who throws a hard, a really good, really hard changeup like that? Like at any point in time, were you concerned for the safety of your thumb? <laughs> no, I mean he has a heavy ball. I don't know if y'all heard that term before. Mm-hmm. Heavy ball. It, he's throwing it mid upper nineties, but it almost seems like no matter what you do, it's gonna blow your hand up. And I don't know if y'all can tell on my index finger. Other way. This is this is my catching hand. It looks a little bit fatter than my throwing hand. This is from Ben, because right? <laughs> <laughs> his ball moves and runs like that, and his yep. changeup. God, his, he's got a tremendous changeup. Uh, Curveball's nasty, but his changeup is the real deal. That's awesome. Last question before we get you out of here. You hit some monster home runs, like <laughs> bar none, some of the most impressive. Like when you fully get a hold of a baseball, there aren't but maybe three or four guys in the organization now who I – like if we're just going to do a home run derby, who can hit the ball the furthest? It's like Suli Matias, yourself. I've seen Saul Garza get a hold of a few. Obviously oh. Bobby Witt Jr., those guys at the AAA level can get a hold of them. Yeah. If Do you have the track man? Like do you know which ball – that you hit was the furthest and like, can you like pinpoint like one home run you hit last year that was like, okay, like that felt good. Like that feels <laughs> like there it goes. Like, but it just really felt good to hit it out of the stadium. Oh, it always feels good to even just got hit it over the white line or even just make contact with the ball. It feels pretty good for me, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you how far I fit a ball. I honestly, I don't really look at it. I'm gonna all, have to all find counts as one in the scorebook. That's right. It all counts as one. <laughs> That's right. When this when this podcast gets tweeted out, I will go find the home run I'm talking about. But there's one, I swear to God, you hit the ball, and it was like the left fielder just kind of turned, looked over his head, didn't move his feet, just kind of turned, looked over his head, and this kid is standing behind. Okay, so in Columbia, if you're familiar, if you're listening, there are like only like five or six rows of bleachers in and behind left field. This kid is standing behind the bleachers in left field on the concourse, and he does the same thing. Like, his feet don't move either. He just kind of does one of these. He's standing out behind the bleachers in left field just, like, doing one of those. I'm like, okay. And then they show the ball landing on the other side. Okay, so there's the wall, the bleachers, like, the little sidewalk, and then another, like, a chain-link fence, and the ball lands, like, 15, 20 feet behind that fence. It's just like, that's – I mean – you're not supposed to be able to hit it that far. Like, I mean, like I said, there's not very many guys that can really get a hold of one. So that was fun to watch. But whenever this comes out, I will tweet it because it's, it's, I mean, it's a pretty impressive shot. But there's not one that stands out, like no one home run that you're like, that felt good. Uh, probably my favorite one was the one at Myrtle Beach, my very, my 10th one, right before I got go. called up. Right before I got called up. That was probably my, one of my favorites. I think I've got video of that one too. I'll 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 tag that here at the at the bottom of this tweet as well later on. Kale, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Hopefully later yes, this sir. summer we'll get you back on after a great year between 
high A, double A, triple A, hell, wherever the, wherever the baseball gods take you this this summer. So thank you very much, yeah. man. We appreciate you joining us, and, and good luck to you, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who joined us tonight. Uh, Joel will be back next week. There's a, li- a weird thing here where we can only really effectively get three people on the screen. So uh, Joel ducked out for us tonight as we had uh, a round of interviews. We wanted to put something special together for you guys for our first uh, new episode here with the Kansas City Sports Network. Again, thank you to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning at the At Home out there in, in Olathe, Kansas. We are super excited. We are really, really excited to be here. We are thankful to KCSN, BJ Kissel, Tucker Franklin, all the guys who are who are making this happen behind the scenes. Drum Farm, who's going to sponsor uh, a segment like we talked about later on in the summer when we actually have minor league baseball. Those recaps we did all last year will be uh, brought to you guys by Drum Farm, who again is a, is a foster care facility in Lee Summit, Missouri. Um, Josh, I don't know about you, but I loved all those interviews we did tonight. Vinny is a Vinny's just an awesome dude who you could talk to about anything. I made um <laughs> after he he made a comment to Joel and I after the Chiefs lost to the Bengals about I don't I don't remember what Patrick Mahomes maybe. And I said something about, yeah, he pulled a Zach Wilson out there. <laughs> then, he didn't appreciate that very much. If you yeah. don't know, Vinny's a Jets fan from from the East Coast. So that was on um, my uh, on my list of questions. Is that I was going to take a take a dig at Zach Wilson for sure. So I'm glad that somebody got it to him at some point. We relayed that to him. Carter, I thought did a great job. He yeah. <laughs> Carter, I don't even know if he knows this um, because I don't know. I prefer not to say, but I so I coach here the high school level locally and in Carter's senior night last year, it was his last at bat at his home stadium. It was a really tight game and I had to intentionally walk him. Uh, oh no. Last home at bat. <laughs> I was like, he looked at me again. He didn't know who I was. He turned around. He just glared at me. I'm like, shouldn't hit the, shouldn't hit the last one off the fence kid. I don't know what you want me to do. He's, like, he's, you wouldn't have hit that last ball off the fence in right center field. I might've let you swing the bat, but it was like second and third, two outs or something like that. Like I, we had to, but yeah, I felt bad about that. So I didn't. He's, bring he's that coming up. down and debriefing after the interview. I was like, "Why do I know that dude's <laughs> face? Oh, he ruined my senior night. He ruined it. That's who that was." Yeah, so, well, the guy behind him ruined the game for us too. So <laughs> it all worked out in the end. It all worked out for him in the end. Um, and then Kale is a great dude. Kale, like yeah. I said, he you know, got us hooked up with the hoodie, the hat, everything he does over there, it seems is great. I don't know what he's talking about getting better quality. Like I legitimately enjoy the hoodie. It is warm. It fits well. The hat fits great. It actually, it's like the same hat as what you got on with the Royals mm. farm report hat, Josh. So, yeah. um, anyway, like the, thank the you. The home plate design on that is red. I like that. Yeah, I do. I don't know how he got that home plate patch on there. I need mm-hmm. to look into that for ours, but, uh, anyway, yeah. Thank three you. Great interviews. Three great dudes. Appreciate their time and their, and, Happy, healthy seasons of wishes uh, from us for to them, for sure. On that end, uh, the CBA negotiations are moving forward. I really think we're going to get some baseball in. Regardless, if Major League Baseball plays or not, Bobby Witt Jr. will be in uniform in Omaha on, what is it, April 5th on opening day for the, for the AAA guys. Uh, college baseball is under full swing. High school baseball gets back into gear next week, so... 
Really excited to get this going. And again, thank you to everybody who made it possible. KCSC, Drum Farm, KCSN, uh, BJ Kissel, Tucker Franklin, who's back there in the green room uh, watching us record right now, making sure everything flows smoothly. Tucker, if uh, anybody doesn't know or remember, actually wrote at Royals Farm Report for a while. I went back and was I, – I tweeted something dumb the other day about the opportunities that it brings – that writing brings. And I went back and was looking at a few things that Tucker wrote. And one of them was about how Bubba Starling was about to make his, his big push into a big league lineup on a regular basis. I was like, well, they can't all be winners. So, but in all seriousness, thanks Tuck uh, for producing this thing, getting us, getting this all ready for us to everybody who did the artwork, getting the show ready. We appreciate you. We'll be back again next week or whenever here soon talk some more minor league baseball with you until then you can follow us at Royals farm on Twitter, read the work over at royalsfarmreport.com. We'll be back again real, real soon. Thanks for listening. Mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch. She can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.